Well, praise God, aren't we blessed? Blessed to be here today. Who's thankful that we have the Word of God? God's living and active Word gives us life. We believe in, on it, we act on it, and I'm sure appreciative for it. We have been doing a series on discipleship, and we're, we're kind of rolling it. There's so much more we could have say on it, but we're rolling over now uh, for this winter term you can tell it's winter term can't you we've actually had this is our third time in a row in here yeah second because normally we're only in once or twice a year but nevertheless um and so we we're a teaching series is how we can know the will of god and i'm excited about it because i've been doing a lot of study on it recently and uh there's some great topics here and uh, i'm going to try and read it here we go God's purposes and plans. It's good to know God's purposes and plans, don't you think? That's right. God's general and his specific will. Your spirit will lead you. Developing your human spirit so you can hear the, hear the Lord. So on and so forth. How the Holy Spirit leads. We'll get into some gifts and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Specific teaching on that later. Today we've got a general introduction. Thank you for reading Jane from Jeremiah. And uh, it's probably a good place to start because uh, Jeremiah, uh, it, it is actually the largest book in the Bible for the amount of words and the amount of verses. And uh, they call him the Wailing Prophet, which is probably a little bit unfair. Uh, he wrote uh, the book of Lamentations as well as Jeremiah, and that's probably where he got his name from. But he was probably better described as the Persistent Prophet. And uh, a lot of, there is a lot we can tell from this little passage. It's really by way of introduction to the teaching series. Uh, some things that Jeremiah wrote to the children of Israel in Babylon, and, and it gives a good introduction to knowing the will of God. But Jeroboamra, uh, <laughs> that's where I used to live. Jeremiah, Jeremiah uh, lived uh, uh, just over 600 years before Christ. He was a prophet, obviously. And he, he lived just outside of Jerusalem, a few miles outside of Jerusalem. He was a Levite by birth, and the Levites didn't own any land. They were, they were the priestly, they were the ministers of the time. They were supposed to be looked after by the other tribes. Thank you very much. And, they, um, and uh, so he lived in a town which was, I think, of the tribe of Benjamin, and they provided for him. And he began a ministry of uh, something over 40 years, 43 to 47 years of ministry. And in that time, we only know for sure of two followers, possibly three. And uh, two followers. One, one was his secretary who put together, they believe, the, the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah doesn't follow. And if you read it like it's, uh, uh, like it's um, done... Um, chronologically thank you very much it will make no sense it's not even really quite topical it's it's kind of the best of jeremiah it's like the jeremiah's anthology you know and so his scribe put together these are his best letters and he had this prophecy here and that and in spite of being called the wailing prophet many of the prophecies and that were very 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 encouraging and very strengthening and he prophesied about the new creation and the new birth and uh, so he, uh, but he only had a couple of followers. We had our men's breakfast and our ladies' breakfast uh, yesterday morning, and there was um, 
seven of us men there, I think the ladies outnumbered us a little bit, but they cheated because they had Azariah, and Azariah counts as a man, I think, in a men's breakfast. <laughs> so when I think of that, we had, and, and you know, it's winter, our numbers typically the last couple of years, even in our Sunday services, tend to winter, tends to dive and it starts hitting back about spring I've noticed that what has been good is each year the dive has been a little bit higher than the year before so we're thankful for that so, um, but uh, so we had uh, six guys other than me so I, I count myself as 300% more successful in ministry than Jeremiah <laughs> there's six other guys there and he had two so that's an extremely carnal way to think obviously but uh, nevertheless I thought I might get half a chuckle so Jeremiah was a prophet and he prophesied for 43, uh, 43, 47 years, somewhere in between that, and asking uh, the Jews, Israel and Judah in particular, to come back to God or else bad things are going to happen. And this particular passage, if you read the beginning of the chapter, um, uh, Jeremiah's scribe says, this is the letter that Jeremiah sent to the children of Israel, Judah, that were in Babylon after they had been in exile all right and in thinking about the call of God on your life and and what it amounts to and God's plans for you I mean he must have at times got very dis discouraged because he was probably the perfect person to that, that coined the phrase I told you so <laughs> in fact it's probably in there somewhere in the original Hebrew I told you so all right uh, because he told them so and he writes to them, they've missed the will of God. And then he writes this encouraging letter to them. And the scribe at the beginning says, this is the letter that was sent to them. Now, one, there's a, lots of things. And this, this message today is really by introduction, as a way of introduction to the teaching series. But one of the things that, that hit me with this is even though in his whole ministry there was two, perhaps three. One scholar says three people followed him. Uh, this this letter, if you read through what's going to, uh, in fact, what Jane read, what's in, in 70 years, you'll be there 70 years. 70 years after he wrote it, a little lad by the name of Daniel read it. And the word of God quickened in his heart. And the children of Israel were delivered and brought out of Babylon. So it's, we can't, it says to me, we can't count our impact by what we see. All right? Because God moves in and beyond time, and he was putting in Jeremiah a word, and Jeremiah, made, it would have been easy for him to be discouraged, but that word would become a seed in the children of Israel's heart and would result in them being delivered 70 years later and coming back, and it resulted in the temple being rebuilt, and all that so so it's one of the things to think about when uh, when we're considering the will of God for our lives is that really um, appearances count for very little yeah. what counts is faithfulness yeah. and obedience so uh, we look at this passage and the first thing we find in it and I'll get my glasses We find a, a word of encouragement where he tells them, he says uh, from verse 4, he says, Dwell in the city 
and prosper in that city. And that is such an encouraging word because if you think about it, these people missed God in a big way. And I don't know if any of you have ever missed God in a big way, but I've probably missed God in a bigger way than you. And maybe we can just get out sometime and measure how big we've missed God by. But they had missed God by so much. And you think of it too, they, they'd lost everything. They'd lost the promise. They'd lost their land. They were, they were in exile. And the first word that comes from God is, it's not over yet. God is not finished with you yet. And that's the first thing to understand with the call of God and the will of God is God is not finished with you yet. And it doesn't matter how young or how old you are, because when we die, we just go to be the Lord and we come back to serve him further. And everything we sow now and do now is going to count. God is not finished with us. He's got bigger things. He's got better things. And he's got good things. And so in discovering the will of God for our lives, we need to first understand that he has not finished with us. And it doesn't, there's nothing we could do, say, believe, have done, which is badderer than the blood of Jesus can wash it. And you've got to be pretty self-righteous to think you can be so bad that the blood of Jesus can't wash you of that sin. I mean, I'd like to hear that sin. You could write a few movies on that. You could, they, I don't know what they'd be rated. They'd be pretty bad. You've got to be pretty prideful to, to look at the blood of Jesus and what he did for us and think, I'm too bad for that. Is there anyone here? This is a rhetorical Chloe. You don't use rhetorical questions. This is a rhetorical question. I'm not expecting an answer. You may like to nudge the elbow of the person next to you. Is there anyone here who has lived such a batter of life that God is finished with them? No one. Then we can say, God, say this with me, God is not finished with me. And so he says to the children of Israel, get over it. So you blew it. Get over it. How good is that? You know, imagine, imagine being in exile and there would have been some that really deserved it. There would have been some that just got caught up with it that maybe were trying to serve God. There would have been some children that grew up there that were there because of the sins of the parents. It's not about that, right? But they would have been there and they heard there's a, the message come from Jeremiah. And can you think of, you know, that voice of condemnation? I can remember at Bible college, the first lecture that we had and... and and some of you know of who we were studying under, but he, he is a genuine New Testament prophet, would get words and that of everyone. And, and, and Linda and I had been given our seat allocation. I think there was like 800 people in first year. And we were on the front row of this prophet. So that's like where, where, where you are. Front row, and, uh, and, and Brother Hagen, his name, was to be here. Well, I'm telling you, that night, the night before, and I went through and I repented of every sin I could possibly think of. I did not want him reading my mail. You know? Who, who, rhetorical question, who wants their mail read in public? Not me. And I'm thinking, he's going to get this word about. So that morning I went through and I can remember going through and, remember, and, and that old prayer, and Lord, if there be anything else, if there be anything else that I've forgotten, I repent. I wanted a clean slate, you know. 
And they would have expected this letter to have that tone of condemnation because self-righteousness is like that. We think God's like that. God's not interested in exhibiting our failures. He's interested in turning us around and making a success of our life. And instead of being, there were warnings in there, but his first word was one of encouragement. It's not over, guys. The dream's still alive. And the dream's still alive with you and you and you and you and me. The dream's alive. He's got plans and it's for good. He says, get over it. Get over the hurt. Get over the failings. Get over the things you've done wrong. Get over it. And with us, that's under the blood. He knew it. Get over it. Now's the time to start afresh and hear the will of God for our lives. And this is my will for you. He said, prosper. Make a difference where you are. Start. And that's another key with knowing the will of God. Start where you are. Being a blessing. He said, be a blessing where you are. Pray for the city. Take the step. Show my light where you are. And I'll give you other things. So his first thing is God is not finished with you. It says in Romans, the gifts and the callings are without revoking. They, God does not call them back. They were by grace. Paul, and we were reading it in our prayer time this morning, Paul um, to the Corinthians, and he talks about how Jesus died in the ministry of the apostles. And then he says, and I'm the least of the apostles. He says, but by grace, I am who I am. We can say that this morning. That's a good confession, especially when condemnation comes your way and you're finding it hard to get over the hurts and the failures and that. You say, no, by grace I am who I am. And even in exile, and you know some of us are in exile because things have caught up with us. But even in exile, he says to us, it's not over. You can prosper there. And we can say, by grace, I am who I am. So the first thing is say, it is not over. God is not finished with me. He's not finished with my family. He's not finished with my relationships. He's not finished with my marriage. He's not finished with my children. The fat lady, whoever she is, she must be some demonic person in hell because they have not sung. What sings is the victory chorus of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the song over our life. So the first thing he said is, I'm not finished with you. He says, look up, dream dreams. Dream of the prosperity that I promised you. Live, work, live in it. Don't believe the evil. I mean, they were slaves and he was saying, you're going to prosper in that land. You're going to be a blessing to them. So even in the consequences of our own sin, With the right attitude and the right understanding of God and His grace, God will say, I'm not finished with you. There's more. And He saw them. They must have felt like they were at the ends of the earth. And He saw them. And He knew them. And there's times and there's purposes and plans in the will of God. And it was 70 years seemed a long way. He said, but you can prosper now. You can do the little things. 
and that's another thing about guidance, knowing the rule of God. Do the little things you know to do. And he's saying this, you know how to prosper. Do it. Start activating the covenant where you are. In your situation, start calling upon the name of the Lord where you are now. He's there. He's not finished. He's got the next step. The second thing is to understand that God has purposes and he has plans. So he says in, he says in there, he says, I know the plans I have for you, they're for good. One of the things we need to understand is God has both purposes and he has plans. The purpose is the outcome that he wants for our life. The plans are how he wants to use us to get there. Now, if you're anything like me, you kind of work out what the purposes are and then you try and plan it out on your own. Hello? Anyone like that? Work out what the purposes are and try and plan it out on your own. And for many of these children of Israel, they, they kind of knew that God had called them to prosper, but their plans were not God's plans. So they started to rely on their own efforts, their own work. They thought, well, maybe this God might prosper us. And they started worshipping other gods because their plans were not the plans that God had for them. Now, it's interesting, the Bible says in Romans 8, 28, we can flip there. I don't know, I didn't actually give the scriptures to... It's interesting when the Bible talks in the New Testament, especially about the purposes of God, for the first thing we need to understand when we're looking for the plans of God in our life is to understand what His purposes are. And in Romans 8... I've got to get over this idea that I've got to keep talking while I'm turning the Bible. Romans 8, 28. Verse 27, it says, He who searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together or God will work all things together for good. It's perhaps a better translation. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We are called according to the purposes of God. Now, the per- Jesus had a purpose, but then there was a plan for him. His purpose says in John, John 10, 10, he came to destroy the works. Uh, he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. And then in 1 John, it says he came to destroy the works of the devil. That was the purpose, but there was a plan for him. Now, God's purpose, it says here, all things work together for those who are called for good, for those who are called according to, who love God and accord according to His. Slow down. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purposes. The word purpose there is different to plans, it's different to strategy. It's the outcome that God wants. And what's really interesting in this verse and then in other, especially in Ephesians where it talks about the purposes of God in our life, the, the word he, uh, that is used there in the Greek is the same word that the Septuagint used to talk about the showbread. Now the showbread um, was the bread which was in the temple and the tabernacle. And this word is the same word as this showbread. Now, I don't know, I know a little bit of Hebrew, know a little bit of Greek, 
I'm not allowed to tell that joke. <laughs> but one of the things I do know about these Middle Eastern languages, they are very graphic, all right? And they'll create a picture and they'll get the meaning from that picture. So this word for purpose is the same word used as, show, as the showbread in the temple and the tabernacle. Now, in the temple and the tabernacle, because you had the Holy of Holies, and then you had the uh, candle stand, which represented the power of the Holy Spirit, and then you had the law, which was holiness, and between them, in the middle of them, was a table which had 12 loaves of bread on it. And these were very carefully made. The, the, the bakers were specially trained bakers, and there's... a uh, History that tells us that people tried to duplicate the recipe and they could never get this bread to last a week and still be fresh. But this bread, which was sort of shaped in kind of a shape of an arc and different designs, so maybe the top was curled over, but it was like an oblong loaf. It was called the showbread or the display bread or God showing off his purposes. And there was 12 loaves representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And each one in the presence of God, the bread, of course, meant sustenance. It meant provision. It meant I've got you. You're going to prosper where you are in my presence. And, and, and it won't go stale. You'll stay fresh. You'll live out your life. You'll find the purposes of God in my presence and that, that word for that bread was the word the New Testament uses for God's purposes. God's purposes is for us to display the glory of God and to have provision in His presence, by His grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit. God's purposes for us is to prosper in the land that is evil and to have success when there's chaos around it. He wants to glorify His name through us. So people will look at our families and they'll say, how come your family's prospering? How come your kids are blessed? How come you've got a job when the world's around you and you can give glory to God? That's His purpose. That's the word which is used in, for all things work together for your good. For, your, you, for God to display you as being made righteous, empowered by the Holy Spirit and living out His plans for His life. And, and the, thing to, the second thing to realize about knowing the will of God is to know that it's good for you. It's the best thing we can have. We're designed to speak of the glory of God in our lives. And the temple, you know, the temple was a place where sin was brought in and sin was washed. And this display of the showbread was that God's going to say, I'm going to prosper you and make you successful and make you glorify and have you glorify my name in the midst of a perverse and evil world when you've been sinned against and you've sinned that his glory is still going to be shone all the more through you as paul said apostle paul said i am who i am by the grace of god so the second thing to understand is that he's purposes are good but then he has plans 
And it's interesting in this passage where he, because what happens with, with us, with human nature, is, is uh, we get all religious. We, we look for complicated things. And we look for external forces and external voices. And we don't realize that the Holy Spirit and the greater one is within us. And the answer to our needs is within us. The light is within us. In him was life, and that life is the light of men. And he says to him, don't follow all these, all these prophets, especially Christians, when we're Christians and we feel like we need him, we want to an answer. And we tend to go, we look for prophetic words, and we look for signs, and we look for symbols. God is not complicated. It's simple. He's saying, just do the simple things. Read your Bible. <laughs> Pray. Forgive. Walk in love. And he says to them that they're prophets, and he says they will arise in my name, and they will prophesy of all these things you've got to do. I have honestly, we've been around, been in Pentecost for many years, 40 years, and it comes round and around. All these words come round and around and around. And, and this and that, you know, and I don't want to speak against any particular, but I know I see very people getting excited about the Word of God. This is the promise of God. This is what God says. It's there. Put your hand on it. It's there. It's quickened to you by the Holy Spirit. And, 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 uh, and uh, Jeremiah says to them, don't get carried away with this word and that word and this prophecy and that prophecy. Just do the basics right. What do you think? You think when you, you're like, the reason you got there is because you weren't reading your Bible. The reason you're in trouble is because you weren't walking in love. Go back to the basics. Walk in the light that you have. God's not going to give you some huge complicated thing. God doesn't give complicated things. They're simple. If Jesus can go to great lengths to break his message down as simple as possible, if you're getting a complicated message, it's not from God. Hello? Because it's got to be simple enough for me to understand. And he says, just do the basic things. Don't listen to this voice and that voice. And we get into trouble and we think we've got to go here and we panic. and We've got to, got to go there. And it's really, it's looking for a force or a source that's out there. Or I'm going to follow this person. Or I'm going to follow that preacher. Or I'm going to do these things. Or I've got to, no, it's just, just do the simple things and you'll be led. It's, it's it. What did Jesus do? He got up in the morning. He had his quiet time. That's not complicated. Read your Bible. Read my Bible and pray every day. Pray every day. Pray every day. I read my Bible and pray every day. And I'll follow you. I'll follow you. I will follow you. What did Jesus do? He read his Bible and prayed every day. And I'll follow you. It's interesting, Chloe was sharing last week about the words for discipleship and the two words for follow that they used. You notice the broken finger there, Jane, from netball, that vicious game of netball. Yeah, I know. And I didn't even get a penalty for it. <laughs> but what was I saying before I got? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Oh, yeah, two words for discipleship. Now, the one Paul used, Paul used the one that said, um, act like me, and then he said, like I act like Jesus. But Jesus used the word which specifically was literally follow me. It comes from two words, alpha and footpath. All right? So he said, what I do, you do. His life wasn't complicated. You know, you meet a devil, kick it in the head. Clark Taylor would sing, kick the devil in the head, praise the Lord. That's good theology. Kick the devil in the head, praise the Lord. You have a need, ask. Read your Bible and pray. And he's saying to them, they're, they're going, what are we doing? What are we doing? We're in exile. He said, read your Bible. Pray. Prosper. Love. Forgive. And I'll lead you. God's not going to give you this step when we're at this step. And just the basics. So we, we see the purposes of God and we try and bring them to pass. And I've been so guilty of that. I've gone on so many uh, crazy business ventures. Linda's going, amen. I'm not a man, you know, where, where I thought I'm going to try and activate, you know, God's provision in my life. And, and, and uh, you know, I bought a hair salon. Yeah, you ever done one of those things? Again, rhetorical question, no need to answer. You ever done one of those things where you just knew it was the wrong thing? You know, but you were trying to help God. Uh-huh. Help God just activate, you know. And you just knew, you just knew you had, we're going to talk more about this, the witness of the Spirit and how to be led. But I have to tell you, I knew it was the wrong thing. Sorry to say, darling. I, I look back now and, and, you know, but I kind of stood against it. You know, you stand against that feeling. You know, I stand against that. It's doubt and unbelief. No, it's stupid. It's stupid. It's, you know. It actually looked good on paper, and then we had the global financial crash and a few other things. But I knew they were there. You know. I remember that feeling because I can remember, uh, you know, I've shared with you how I had a head-on collision and a motor. I won't get into this now, but, you know. But I had that same feeling. So we try and work out the plans of God and, and uh, our way. But he knows the best way for us. And we need to have the humility to seek him. One, to act on what we know to be true. He's not going to give you things to do if you're not acting on what you already know to be true. With a little bit of light comes more light. Jesus said, with a little bit of faithfulness, and I'll give you a little bit more. Be faithful with this. Be faithful in serving here at the church. Be faithful in sharing with people at work. Just be faithful in these little things and I'll give you something more to do. God has purposes for each of our lives. We are to be his showbread. We are to be the picture of the glory of God and the kingdom of God. And that's why we say in here, he said, we're to bring, bring, bring to pass the kingdom of God on the Sunshine Coast. We're to be that kingdom. We're to be that showbread. Our church is a church 
where people get healed. Our church is a church where people prosper. Our church is a church where people grow. The kingdom of God where people are delivered of, of, of emotional and mental torment. Where the, during the financial, during the, the, the COVID, story after story after story of the provision of God, we are the showbread. And, and we're to be faithful in that and he'll give us the next thing to do. All right? There's purposes of God, but there's plans of God. We, we need to want to know what those plans and purposes are. Now, we get very self-righteous, and we get, we get we, if you're like me, you, you, know, you jump ahead of things. I was always living five, ten years ahead of where I was at, you know. Then you get to a certain age, like I am 39, and you just want things to slow down a little bit, you know, just give me more time now. So he says in there, and, and this is really a, for, a forecast of the new covenant. He says, but when you seek after me with all your heart, I'll show myself to you. Was that verse 14, is it? Have we got it up here? Have we got verse, verse 14 there, Tiff, from Jeremiah 29? Is it coming or do I keep looking? I think 13 and 14. All right. So what's verse 13? Sorry. You'll seek me and find me when you've searched for me with all your heart. Verse 14. And I'll be found by you. He asks us to look at our heart, especially very often as Christians, we know the purposes, but what are the plans? And he asks us to look at our heart and to judge ourselves. And to do that, we have to get over a lot of things. <laughs> we do, you know. I, I can remember as a kid uh, driving home in the car, dad um Dad would often say to us, we were driving across Sydney visiting our grandparents and we get to, we lived in a, a suburb called Hunters Hill and we get to like Gladesville. And then he'd say, okay, one of you, one of you uh, take us home. And so one of us would have to direct the car. Now he'd only do this when he had a lot of time up his sleeve. You understand? So, so, so one of us would just take turns in guessing, really, uh, turn left here, Dad. Turn right here, Dad. Turn left there. And we'd end up sometimes at Chatswood or, you know, uh, down around Des Moines. <laughs> but we knew the purpose was to get home, but we didn't know the plan. And, you know, we need a heart. That means, what does that mean? It means deep down in here, and you're carrying, you might be carrying hurt, you might be carrying pride. You might be carrying fear. But a heart that's going to step up and say, get over that. Forgive that person. Walk in love. Pay your tithes and offerings. Serve. Love that person. They're the basics of his plan. And then the next step will come. 
And he says, if you seek me with all your heart, you'll find the next step. And he doesn't throw it out. It's not pearls before swine. And I don't know what God has for you. I'm sure it's good. And I'm sure it's bigger, but he's not going to throw it down before you until we're faithful doing what we know to be true. Forgiveness, love, read our Bible and pray the basics. I love the story of Peter, and we've touched on that a few times, especially his call. And when he decided to surrender to the plans of God. Now, he knew the purposes. You wouldn't be here if you don't know the purposes of God roughly for your life. All right? But it's the plans where the rubber hits the road. I mean, not many people actually give up if you're here on a Sunday morning and it's cold because you know there's a bigger picture, don't you? You know there's something bigger for you and your family. But, but what's going to determine whether you get there is whether we're willing to surrender to the plans of God. Now, Peter knew there was a big picture because he'd seen the miracles. He invited Jesus home to his place. His mother, his mother got healed. But he, he, then he went out overnight and he went fishing. Now, I can understand that. Luke goes fishing for the fun of fishing. And did you see Isaac's fish <laughs> that he caught, that big red, red emperor the other night? And that's all good. But, but Peter was doing this to try and fulfill the purposes of God in his life. He had a call on his life. And so he wouldn't surrender. He was the best fisherman. He had the biggest business, the best boats, and he was going to catch fish. And, and sometimes it's not until like the children of Israel, you, you know those times spiritually in your own walk and your own relationships where you keep running into painful dead ends. And you're wondering why. A lot of the time, it's because we're attuned to the purposes of God, but not the plans of God. Not how we'd want to do that. And the obstacle stopping us is because our heart, parts of our heart is sold to other things. It's sold over to hurt. It's sold over to pride. It's sold over to fear that if I let go, how am I going to pay my mortgage? If I let go, how, how am I going to do this? How are we going to meet the bills? If I let go, I've got to arrange this, you know. It's like me when I come out of prayer every Sunday morning. You think I would let go and let you guys just set up the chairs, really, wouldn't you? That's an in-joke. So five people get that. <laughs> I said to Linda the other day, I'm starting to work out there's some things that the less I do, the more that gets done. <laughs> and Peter had fished all night, and sometimes it comes to that in our own walk, doesn't it? When we've tried and tried and we get nowhere. And Peter tried and tried and he got nowhere. And then there was something simple that Jesus asked him to do. We'd like to think that we would say, yeah, I'll throw the net on the other side. Would you like to think that? I'd like to think that Jesus came in and said, I'll throw the net. Yeah, certainly I'll throw it on the net. But we don't in our own walk. We don't like to surrender those things that we've hold on to for whatever. It maybe it gives us that feeling of self-righteousness. Maybe I can justify this. Maybe if I try hard and do this, maybe if I work the extra day, then I get extra money. 
And I'm into working hard and all that. I'm into all that. But I'm talking about this heart. He says, if you seek me with all your heart, you'll find. And our hearts need to be turned over to what the plans of God for in our life. We all want the purposes. We all want to be the showbread, don't we? Don't we? We all want to have that. But it's the plans of God. Are we willing to surrender? And trust him. Surrender and forgive. <sighs> Surrender and to walk in love. You know, I've had some experiences of that lately. I've just got to say every word I'm going to say has got to be gracious. It's got to be loving. And you just want to say your bit. You know, it gets in those situations. Don't answer. Sorry. Rhetorical question. You just want to have your say because you're right. I know I'm right and I need to be right. I'm going to have my say. And that's not surrendering to the plans of God. The plans of God is for us to speak words of life and love and give that hard call to God. So this this series how to know the will of god we're going to talk in general about some things and then we're going to talk specifically about being led and how to actually be led uh, at the primary way that god leads and then uh, other ways such as prophecy tongues interpretation signs all those things we all like signs who likes signs i like signs everyone likes signs you know but the primary thing is do i want to surrender my plans to God's plans. The things that are prideful, that are hurtful, that are self-reliant, am I prepared to hand those over and walk in the plans of God? Because there's fish on the other side of that boat. And there's deliverance for the children of Israel to come out of Babylon. And God's not finished with us yet. God's not finished with us yet. I'm glad God's not finished with me. I trust you're glad that God's not finished with you. And I want us today just to walk away from here, to know, to look at our own hearts and go, we're well, all here because we know the purposes of God are for good for us. But are we prepared to surrender our plans to the plan of God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you for your provision to us. Father, we know that you have a purpose for our life. But Lord, we know also that you have plans for good and for welfare. And Father, we choose to surrender our will to your will today. Your word says that you know the plans that you have for us. They're for good, to prosper for us. But Father, we have to surrender to you, have to lay down our lives to you. And we willingly do that today. We willingly surrender our lives to you, Father, knowing that your will for us for good and you know you see ahead. You're the God that lives in the future. And you are the answer to our need. So Father, we surrender our heart, our plans and purposes to you today. In Jesus' name, all the people said.